respects. That was beautiful, man. Golly. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you saints. Because it's not the tune you carry. It's who you're carrying the tune to. The Lord just gave me that. Like, really, it was beautiful. Thank you, brother, for sharing that. And I want to uh, want us to go back to Psalm 63. Uh, my brother's going to put the slide up there. I want us to stand out of reverence and awe for the Word of God Almighty, which is inerrant. There is nothing wrong in this Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is the complete and total revelation of God Almighty, and no man can change it. No man can substitute for it. It is the only thing we have for life and breath, and it draws us closer to the triune God because this is his heart. So in case you thought we were just going to reread a psalm, this is the word of God Almighty, and I would love for you to join me if you feel compelled to raise your hands as we read it. You don't have to, I'm not going to coerce you. But in this psalm, David declares this very thing, that I will lift up your hands, lift up my hands in your name. So let's read it together. I'm reading from the NIV. We're going to read it in total. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will unashamedly lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, which means in the early morning. <laughs> because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of God, brothers and sisters. It's awesome. It's beautiful. It is the only thing that can bring life and light to us if we'll just receive from God Almighty because he's good and he loves you and he loves you and he loves you more than I can describe today. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the opportunity to sing for joy in your presence. Lord, thank you for being able to enter into this transcendent word, which gives us light and life 
and instruction. And as my brother Paul wrote to Timothy, it is useful in, for teaching and instruction. And it is inerrant. And so, Lord, we submit to it today. And Father, I pray if there's anything that comes from my soul or my pride or my anything, I just ask that it would fall back. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you step forward and allow your spirit to minister to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Did you know that this psalm was a prescription for daily public prayers in the early church? Did you know that? It was. And so I want to encourage you right here on the front end to see this psalm as enabling each of us, that is God's people, to develop confidence, confidence, especially in times of trouble. Did you know that biblically, the highest honor any of us can achieve, the highest privilege is to enjoy and be a welcome member of the worshiping community of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no better thing we can do than to worship God. And this psalm is going to show us three things, and I want to just say right up front what it's pointing to. Number one, thirst can point us back to God. Number two, Raising your hands in worship is an act of submission to God. And it enables you to focus your full attention on God Almighty. And number three, clinging to God keeps trouble at bay. This is what I have seen in Psalm 63, and it's why I've titled this Sermon, a balm for troubled times. Can y'all hear me all right? Y'all out there? Have you ever had cotton mouth? Do they even use that term anymore? I don't know know what. Dry mouth. Stranger Things talks about mouth talkers. It happens, right? Your mouth goes dry. You like that? (laughs) Your mouth goes completely dry. You might be like Bill today. You got asked spontaneously to pray over the offering. Suddenly, all the, all the water in your mouth evaporates. Or maybe you're asked to say a prayer at a special event, or make a toast, or something like that. Maybe it's exercise-induced. You go out for a run, or a hike, and every ounce of water just seems to vanish from that arid cave of gloom called your mouth. I've had cotton mouth many times in my day. If you don't believe me, come talk to me after this sermon. Mouth gets about as dry as it can possibly get. The breath follows, and so does thirst. But I went to the University of Richmond, and I had the good fortune of playing football down there. And back in those days, they had what were called two-a-day practices, and they were brutal. Not going to lie. It was back in the day before they had, they didn't even know what the word concussion protocol was, much less a heat index. Um, 
Yeah, they, they, in fact, I, I sometimes laugh. I'm like, I, I just try to envision me having the nerve, like Dan had the nerve to sing before us spontaneously. I've imagined trying to have the nerve to walk up to my coach and say, uh, Coach, uh, don't you think it's a little too hot out here to practice? It's kind of dangerous. I just, it just wouldn't have been thought of in the late 80s. It just wouldn't have. In fact, I remember being so thirsty that I could drink from the holes of my helmet. Now, mind you, that helmet had been on many days prior to that and many days after that, and many other people had probably worn that helmet at one point in history before it either broke or I wore it out or whatever. But I would also carry that helmet dutifully over to the water fountain. I can still hear that water fountain running, clopping down on rotten sod. Have you ever smelt rotten sod? There's scarcely anything worse, maybe a dead cow that's been in a field for a while, but it's pretty nasty. So I'll go underneath that thing, grease, hair, oil, everything, and I would drink abundantly because my insatiable desire for water at that time overrode common sense and certainly my distinguishing palate. Today... Hopefully you grabbed a, a bottle of water when I came in when you came in. How many of you got the water or you were you at least offered it? All right, good. Raise your hand if you've already drunk from it. No guilt, just curious. I distributed those waters today to make a point. Nice. <laughs> I distributed it to make a point. One is to illustrate how easily accessible water is to us. Most of us barely give it a second thought. In fact, you may not have given it a second thought today when you got yours. But water is ubiquitous. It's also everywhere. Good, I'm glad you got that. Rare is the instance where we know what the meaning of true thirst is. I mean, heck, we've got unlimited water in our taps at home, here at church, in the bathrooms. We've even got a fancy new uh, water fountain uh, that actually the little thing says Easy H2O. I mean, water is just a, not, a, not a big deal to us. Even though Google would say that the human body can only go a certain amount of time before it dies. Anybody know what that time frame is? How many? Excellent. Wow. A lot of y'all got it right. Three days. I didn't know that until I looked it up or asked Siri. But the point is we have unlimited water that flows to us all the time. But that wasn't the case when this passage was written. And this incredible psalm that we have participated in both in song and in the spoken word. In fact, this particular psalm was written by David in the desert. It doesn't get much drier than the desert. He was threatened on all sides. A lot of people wanted his kingship, but he was also threatened by thirst. So that's the first thing, I, the first reason I passed those out. But the second reason is really the crux of it. Thirst itself is a vivid metaphor used throughout the Bible. 
to describe our longing for God and the security His presence offers, especially when our enemies, perceived or real, threaten us. And if we step back and think of it, the whole of the Bible describes thirst in various forms. Most of us know exactly what it's like to be thirsty. And we've been studying in recent weeks the song of the Lord. And that's, that, that's, that song has been pointing our thirsty souls back to God. And so as we go back to the Word, I want us to think about what was David thirsty for exactly? What was making him thirsty beyond just the obvious of him being in a desert and on the run from his enemies? And secondly, what are, what are we thirsty for? I think it really can be hard for us to imagine. But I want you to hold your water bottles up for a sec. I kind of passed by this earlier, but do you realize like these weren't available in David's times? I mean, there might have been a bowl of water in his sanctuary, but generally it was so arid and dusty that was used to wash your hands and feet so that you didn't come into the sanctuary with filth on you. It wasn't used for drinking. But three days is the amount of time you can go without water. That's not a very long period of time, even though most of us don't give water a second thought. We live in a land of plenty. And I want you to, throughout this uh, conversation, or I should say monologue, uh, look at these water bottles and consider the fact of how easily water is accessible to you. You see, David knew what real thirst was. And he expressed it so passionately. That's why I was so animated when we were talking about, when we were reciting together Psalm 63. Because I believe with all my heart that thirst can do something to us other than just make us thirsty. It can point us back to the only one that will relieve our thirst, and that is God Almighty. And so thirst can be a vivid, vivid reality for us to say, yes, Lord, I'm thirsty, but I thirst more from you. Just like Dan said, yes, Lord, I know we're not supposed to sing, but I don't care, I'm going to sing for you anyway, even if I look foolish. Take a look at verses 2 and 3. It says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Did you notice this was in the past tense? He didn't say, I see you in the sanctuary. He said, I have seen. You see, David's reflecting on what had happened to him when he was in the sanctuary of God Almighty. And he witnessed God's power and glory. Have you ever thought about this? He's longing to return to the gathered church. Did that describe your heart this morning? 
Did you long to get back into the sanctuary where just for a second, perhaps you could behold God's power and glory? Oh man, I saw it today. I see it in Renee. Woo! I see it in the Don. That man can play a fiddle, y'all. I see it in my brother Dan. I see it in the sanctuary. I've beheld God's power and glory. You see, David longed to be in the place of corporate worship of God. He knew that in the sanctuary was where God's glory dwelt. And you know, I wonder if we sometimes forget that in our readily accessible bottled water, bottled fountain, our, our running fountain, Zoom meetings, 24-7 news cycle. We get everything when we want it. And I wonder if we sometimes forget that the sanctuary is a place of holiness, a place where God's glory dwells. See, we don't just get together and participate in church. We don't just go through the liturgy. We are encountering the presence of God Almighty when we gather. So there's a lot going on. Check out verse 6. David says, On my bed I remember you. I think about you through the watches of the night. Have you ever thought about God at night and what you experienced in the sanctuary? Has God so captured your attention that you don't just fall asleep, but you think, oh, God, yes, I'm tired, but I realize my soul could be destined for hell, but you've been merciful to me. You've saved me from my sins. So I want to think about how good you are. David knew this, and I want to remind us that every Sunday you come, every Sunday we are in the presence of the Lord, it's another opportunity to say, God, you are worthy and not me. It's an opportunity to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I want more of your presence, not less of it in my life. And we do this together you see, David didn't worship God alone. He did it in the sanctuary, publicly. I think that's one of the things that has grieved me so much about uh, a post-COVID Christian experience. That is that I think there are a lot of people I know, a lot of people you know, who just don't come anymore. Not because they're going somewhere else. I mean, I hear pastors say this all over town. Yeah, my, my people just don't come anymore. This is a great crowd today, but I can remember a day when this sanctuary was full. Where, where literally you'd have to come early, not at quarter to 11. You'd have to get here early just to get a spot to park in. Otherwise, you park down on the street. And so I'm reminded of, I, I know how easy it is for us to get caught up in convenience, and I am just as guilty. I think that's why the Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews reminded us, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another daily. Do you know you're, you're such a gift of God? 
I want to encourage you, not just because I'm standing here, but to say, you are a gift of God. If you're sitting here and you're living and you're breathing, God has placed his blessing on you. It's not to say that all your troubles have vanished, but it's to say you're created. You are a created being designed for worship. And God loves you. And so if you're feeling down, be encouraged today. God has offered us a way to come back to him again and again and again. And it's okay if you feel like you're wearing out grace. Have you ever felt that way? Like, Lord, I can't ask for forgiveness for that again. Well, that's not true. It's not to say that we take advantage of that grace intentionally, but guess what? If you didn't struggle with sin, you wouldn't need Jesus. That's why Jesus freely offers an opportunity to come back to Him. Amen. I want us to look at verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Now, I know some of you have thought about this, but let's stop and think about what significance lies in raising our hands. I don't know what church background you guys came from. I know some of you grew up here, so I know that's the church background you came from. So raising hands is not a big deal. But if you're kind of feeling awkward about that whole process, I just want to speak to you. On a very practical level, did you know it's kind of hard to be down if your hands are raised? Try it. Next time you're mad, just throw your hands in the air and look up. My wife and I have this funny little thing that we do when, we, when we're really mad at each other. And believe me, she can get really mad at me. <laughs> I know that's shocking. But you know what we do? We'll go like this. Have you ever tried to be mad? Try it. Next time you get mad, just be like, I am so angry right now. It's, it's almost like you'll start laughing. Well, hand raising is similar. And let's try a corporate exercise together since we're in the sanctuary of God Almighty. I want you to repeat after me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now I want you to raise your hands, and I want you to look up and not be self-conscious. I want you to focus on God Almighty and repeat after me, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Did you observe a difference at all between the two? In your view, when you said it the first time versus the second, 
Were there any observations you could make about your soul? I do this pretty regularly because it really is hard to be mad with your hands in the air. And believe me, I get mad a lot. And even though I'm a raving extrovert, I want you to know I come from a conservative church tradition. And by conservative, I'm not talking about politically. I mean like standing was about as expressive and spontaneous as they got. Have you ever heard of the uh, moniker Frozen Chosen? It, it's how Protestants refer to themselves, actually. It, it means they do religion from a very reasoned, logical approach, non-emotional. And there's certainly a place for that. But that's the background I came from, and I want you to know how I reacted when I experienced hand-raising for the first time. I mentioned earlier I went to Richmond, and some of the guys talked me into going to West End Assembly of God. Um, and it was somewhere around the early winter of 1990, but <laughs> there was, um, I don't really know how to describe it. There was, uh, I walked in, I'll just try to describe it as I saw it. I walked in and like, it seemed like everyone had their hands in the air. I mean, it seemed like everyone had their hands in the air and everyone had their, their hands raised. And I was sitting here going, this seems really weird. And at the time, singing to God seemed really weird to me also, so I can relate to what Dan was saying earlier. But I knew something was right about it. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was. But I came to realize that what was happening was I was feeling the presence of God Almighty and that the action of hand-raising is a willful act of submission to God. Amen. It was a willful act of submission to God. And, and I just want to say this to you. If you've kind of had a, had a thought about hand-raising being awkward, this could be a game changer for you, because it was for me. In fact, I was shocked to learn that it wasn't just something that wacky charismatics do, or the Pentecostal church does, you know, because there are fancy monikers for them as well, you know, was it, holy rollers and that sort of thing. Do you realize that there are no less than nine references to hand-raising in the Psalms alone? I won't bore you with all of them, but it's commonplace elsewhere in the scriptures. I will run through a few. 1 Kings 8.28 says this, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord and in the presence of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Lamentations 2.19 says this, Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to Him for the lives of your children. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever lifted your hands to say, God, have mercy on this person who's driving me nuts? 
Or God have mercy on my child who's gone astray and he's making decisions in his adult life that I never would have thought been possible. God, I want to throw my hands up to you and say, Lord, have mercy on them. This is a discipline we get the privilege of doing as Christians. In 1 Timothy 2.8, Paul gives Timothy specific instructions for worship in the New Testament church. And he says this, in every place of worship, every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger or controversy. And lest I leave out the most important person in this entire word, our Lord Jesus himself, before he ascended into heaven, Luke 24, 50 says this, Jesus led his disciples out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. You see, hand raising can be a beautiful way of submitting to God. And I want to go to the last thought. Look at the end of the psalm, verses 9 through 11. Because here, what's going to happen is they describe where David's enemies are, what his troubles were. Verse 9 says, They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. Now, it's not really clear in this psalm whether David was on the run from Saul. You remember Saul from the Bible? Uh, or Absalom. Scholars kind of debate this. He's, he, he's on the run from one of them, and both of them want his head. So he, they were very real threats to him. And that's why he's talking about those who seek my life. How many of us really have anyone who wants our life? Really? Like we might imagine there are people out after I like those guys on the other side. They want to kill me. Uh, maybe you've got a little more threat in your life than I do, but I kind of live a pretty comfortable life personally. And I wonder if sometimes the enemies that we perceive are really opportunities for us to get closer to God. Just like thirst draws us back to God. Just like raising our hands is an act of submission that says, yes, Lord, I realize it seems like someone's after me. Like that guy in my dreams, I can't get away from. And the harder I try to run, the slower I get. Nevertheless, Lord, I raise my hands in submission to you. And this is where David makes a turn. And in verse, uh, uh, where is it? Verse 8, he says, my soul clings to you. Have you ever thought about clinging to God? It's not like I just, I just gently grab something. I kind of picture falling out of a raft in class 5 waters in the upper gully after they've released the dam, and you roll out of that puppy, and you're trying to grab a latch. 
to keep from going in the water. Y'all tracking with this metaphor? That's what this word means in Hebrew. The idea of clinging is like with everything in your fiber, cling to God. Do you have troubles? Of course you do. I do too. But what if in your troubles you clung to God? David knew this secret. He knew what it was like to be threatened. And I want you to know, whether your threats come from a perceived enemy or a real one, what would it look like if you were to actually cling to God instead of your fear? When the heat gets turned up in our lives, I wonder if clinging to God could be the remedy. Or as I called the sermon, a balm. And that's why I want to publicly say how much I appreciate Dan Gritzko. Dan and I do not see everything eye to eye. Don't get me mis misunderstood. But one thing I love about Dan is every time, without exception, that we talk or have a conversation, he's like, let me pray. Lord, I just give this conversation to you. Amen. And then we'll just start talking. Like, every time. Is that an, is, I mean, is that an example of clinging to God? I would submit it is. There are hundreds of ways we can cling to God. There's no one recipe for grabbing that life raft. But what it is is to recognize that without that raft, I die. Do we have that view spiritually when it comes to the living God. Without my Jesus, I die. So I appreciate that gift in my brother. And I want to remind us that the entire purpose of this psalm is to build faith in us and confidence. Like it's okay to be confident in God. Did you know you can be both humble and confident? I'll let you pray about that. The kicker is like David, our thirst can point us back to the source of our life. And when we draw near to God, it just makes sense to raise hands to Him. You know, I'm at a stage in my life where I've now become a grandpa, and one of my favorite sounds in life, oh man, I shouldn't have talked about this, God. But there's nothing like the sound of Remy's feet smacking onto my hardwood floor. As he comes, he's, he's like 16 months old, and he just, so he kind of does this now. But his feet smack the floor, and when he gets close to me, you know what he does? It's just natural for him. And anyone who's ever been a parent in here knows how natural it is for your child to just reach up to you. So I wonder what we could learn from a child. By His grace, I think, clinging tightly to God in all of our troubles will give us an opportunity to see who God really is. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word, which gives us light and life and breath and instruction. Lord, I just pray that uh, 
as your spirit has been ministering to us, Lord, that we would draw closer to you, that we would even cling like the man falling off a raft. Lord, would you help us to see more and more of your grace? And Lord, would you continue to draw us to worship you corporately? Lord, that we might be free to put our hands in the air and say, Abba, have your own way. Lord, we just ask this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.